And she said to me, uh, we sure love when you come. I said, well, I love coming to this church because I love the freedom of expression in worship. And, and I love to hear you just shout out amen and that kind of thing. And you can always tell when someone's here for the first time because there was a lady standing next to her that was here for service for the first time. And she said, well, I don't understand why they all yell out like that or why it's so loud. And so I looked at her and I said, well... A couple weeks ago, I was sitting on a plane, and I was flying into South Carolina, and I noticed there was a huge billboard there because the military was landing F-16s and F-17s, and they were landing the, B -bom the bombers and that kind of stuff, and so the billboard said, uh, please excuse the noise. It's the sound of freedom. Yeah. And she said, what does that mean? I said, well, when you come to this church, people who have been set free, for the Bible says, he who has been set free is free indeed. And so what you're hearing when they shout out or they make noise, it's the sound of freedom, of people who have been set free. If you've been set free, can you make some noise right now? Come on, clap your hands and praise him. Yeah. Thank you for coming. And I believe that because you made God a priority in your life, because you have set this time aside to be in his house, uh, that God will pour out his favor on you and your work week will be so much better and your school week because you honored God. Amen? Amen. Plus, you'll be out by one o'clock kickoff time, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Get your Bible out and turn it on. I want to speak to you for a short time on the prayer of favor, the prayer of favor. And look with me to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2, starting verse 1 through 5. As a way of background, the book of Nehemiah is one of the history books of the Bible. It contains the story of Israel's return from Babylonian captivity and the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. Nehemiah was a Hebrew slave that God raised up in Babylon, or Persia really, to a very high and prominent position. He was the official cupbearer to the king. And what that means is that when Nehemiah would come into the throne room, he would bring the king his food and his wine and his drinks. And Nehemiah would eat the food first, and he would drink the wine first, and the king would watch. And if Nehemiah didn't fall over dead and gag, then the king would eat his food. So you see, Nehemiah had a very important position. He's there in the palace, and word reaches him that his city, Jerusalem, was in ruins and in need of repair. So Nehemiah, he begins to fast and pray. The theme of the book of Nehemiah can be summed up by saying, Nehemiah sees a problem, recognizes his unique position and purpose, and he invites God to use him to save a city. Notice I said, he invites God to use him. And that is so key because God is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And if you really want him to use you, you have to invite him. You have to ask him. So now let's look at Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1 through 5. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Uh, listen, that's Nehemiah speaking in the narrative now. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. Keep that in your mind. 
I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Would you go down to verse 8? Chapter 2, verse 8. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Oh, that's key. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. How you pray determines what kind of life you live. If you only pray small, ordinary prayers, you're going to lead a small, ordinary, get-by life. If you attend a church that only prays small, ordinary prayers, thank God that's not like this church. You will then attend a church that leads a small, ordinary, get-by life. But when you have the boldness to ask God to fulfill his will in your life, then you begin to ask him to do things that are impossible to open doors that might otherwise never open. You ask him for the favor to take you further than anyone in your family. You begin to ask him for the favor to do the unthinkable. Again, you ask him for the favor to do the impossible. When you pray the prayer of favor, you begin to see the greatness of God's power in your marriage, in your church, in your life on a daily basis. In chapter 1, Nehemiah comes to the understanding of why he is in the position he is in. He realizes it's for the glory of God to rebuild Jerusalem. And he understood, and he understood, if I just live in the luxury of the palace and I miss the purpose, then I have missed the whole point of my position. Purpose and position. Purpose and position. Would you say that with me? Purpose and position. Say it again. Purpose and position. Because that's really what the prayer of favor is all about. So Nehemiah, he sets himself to to begin to pray, and he begins to fast in chapter 1. Nehemiah 1.1 says, night and day that something could be done to aid Jerusalem. Nehemiah literally begins to pray night and day, Lord, that something could be done to aid Jerusalem. Now, during this period, Nehemiah had diligently tried to maintain a customary happy appearance, but his great grief finally became apparent in his appearance. And we've all gone through things where we're trying to mask it, and we really don't want anyone to know, but those who are close to us, they start to recognize there's something in your appearance that's different. And the reason he's hiding it, it was contrary to court behavior for a servant to appear sad. You see, being sad in the presence of the king was a very serious offense in Persia. And you read that in Esther chapter 4 and verse 2. See, if you're sad, it's a bad reflection back on the king. It means that he is ruling incorrectly. He's not meeting the needs. So everyone around court was always happy, always jovial. In essence, they all wore masks to hide their true feelings. I often say I could preach a whole series of messages on the masks that we choose to wear. 
and we usually take them off and on throughout, throughout the day. Like when you're going to the office and you put the mask on because, God forbid, you don't want anybody to know what you're really going through. Or a little closer to your heart, how about the mask that we wear when we pull into the garage because we don't want our spouse to know, so we're trying to hide it. Or some of you actually put on masks every Sunday when you walk through the doors because, God forbid, anybody in church know that I'm struggling, that I'm dealing with something. And so Nehemiah, he's trying to mask it himself, so he begins to pray. And he also knows that the request that he's ultimately going to make of the king is going to really anger him. Nehemiah was four months in preparation of fasting and praying before he approaches the king. Look at verse 4. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. It's not like Nehemiah stopped and fell on the floor and began to wail out to God. No, this is a 10-second, let's go God prayer. Maybe even a three to four second, let's go God prayer. See, a let's go God prayer is those prayers that we pray just prior to needing God to do a favor. For instance, the doctor tells you, you've got cancer. And they run all the tests. And now the day comes that you're walking across the parking lot and you're headed to the hospital to get the results. And you're opening the door of that hospital and you're saying, let's go, God. Let's go. Maybe you're a college student or a high school student and your GPA is real shaky. And you're saying, Lord, I I really need this. And you're walking towards that chem lab and you're saying, let's go, God. Let's go. How many know what it is to pray a let's go, God prayer? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you're up for a promotion on your job and you really need it because financially your family is counting on it. Let's go, God. Let's go. Listen, gang, let's go, God, prayers really work when they've been backed up by months of preparation. And that's what happens with Nehemiah. Point number one, the prayer for favor opens closed doors. The prayer for the favor of God opens closed doors. Say this with me. The prayer for favor opens closed doors. Say it again. The prayer for favor opens closed doors. In all the wonderful things that God did for the children of Israel, there are few things any more astounding than this. A more daring request was never really made, except possibly the request of Queen Esther to save Israel just a couple years earlier. And the time frame fits that Esther is actually sitting in the palace and the actual room, because when you read it, he says, as I approached the king, the queen was sitting next to him. In my mind's eye, I picture Esther sitting there, and when he walks in, she kind of goes, let's go. Because Esther knows what it is to pray a let's go God prayer. If it wasn't for Esther, the nation would be completely destroyed. So now he's sitting there. And he realizes it had only been a few years since Artaxerxes had commissioned Rahim and Shemsheh to bring a stop to the rebuilding and fortifying of Jerusalem. Artaxerxes is the king now of Persia. He's inherited the throne. Nebuchadnezzar, prior to him, is the one who completely destroyed Israel and brought them out of Jerusalem into bondage. But now Artaxerxes is on the throne. 
And the amazing thing is that Artaxerxes grants Nehemiah's request, lock, stock, and barrel, all of it. That a Persian king would reverse a former decision was unheard of because they believed themselves to be gods. And if I'm a god, I can't reverse my opinion or what I'm saying. And yet for Nehemiah, he sends him accompanied by a full military escort and with full authority to reconstruct the walls of a fortif- and fortify a city that his ancestors has destroyed, a city they have conquered. Listen, friend, only the God of heaven can cause this door to open. Only the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the king that reigns over the heart of every man, Only God could open this door. This is why the prayer for favor opens closed doors. The prayer for favor opens closed doors. But let me explain to you how this is all fitting together. Let me explain how God gave the favor and the insight into how favor works. So you must realize that the first Palm Sunday was a day of lamb selection. In Jerusalem, their Palm Sunday, it was the day that they selected the lamb to cover their sin for a year. And every father would select a lamb or a turtle dove, and he would sacrifice that lamb or that turtle dove, and he would pray that that would cover the sin of his family for one year. The high priest would also select a lamb, the lambs that were raised in Bethlehem of Judea, just outside Jerusalem. And they would choose a lamb without spot or blemish. And the high priest would sacrifice that lamb to cover the nation of Israel for a year. So dad would cover the family. The high priest would cover the nation. And that's how they were able to cover their sin. It was the day of lamb selection. The very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey was a day of amazing prophetic fulfillment. Understand that Daniel's prophecy of 69 weeks of years until Messiah would be revealed was being revealed with absolute precision on that first Sunday, first Easter, uh, excuse me, Palm Sunday. Now, the math of this prophetic fulfillment is amazing. Hold your finger in Nehemiah and look with me now over to the book of Daniel because what happened on Palm Sunday, and for you to truly understand favor, you have to look at Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. It's a prophetic word. And from this moment on, I want you to listen now very carefully because this message is going to be prophetic for many of you. Things are going to begin to fall in the line as you start to realize, oh, that's why things are happening this way. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. And it's a prophetic word that Daniel gives And Daniel prophesies the exact date that the Messiah is going to be revealed. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. Know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So that's the first key. There's going to come a command that will go forth to build and rebuild Jerusalem. Until the anointed one, the Messiah, the ruler comes, there'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It'll be rebuilt with a trench, but in times of trouble. Remember, Nehemiah and the people were in trouble. Now, these weeks that we just read about are not weeks of seven days, but rather are weeks of years, which is the way the Hebrews would mark their time. Now, in simple terms, here is what Daniel is saying. He is saying, from the day 
of the command to rebuild Jerusalem to the time that the Messiah is going to be revealed, it'll be a period of 483 years. Now, biblical chronology is based upon 360 days, not 365 days in a year. And their days and years are based on an ecclesiastical calendar and not a lunar calendar. So, there are 360 days in biblical chronology. Now, let's stop and do the math. Remember, we're speaking about the prayer of favor. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. 483 years times 360 days that is 173,880 days. So Daniel is essentially saying that in 173,880 days, the Messiah, the prince, will be revealed, and there'll be a de- declaration to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, both history and scripture supply the next piece of the puzzle. Because the Persians thought so highly of themselves, because they thought they were gods, they documented things that was just amazing documentation. And based on Persian record, history tells us that on March 14th, 445 BC, King Artaxerxes of Persia gave the decree to rebuild Jerusalem that his ancestors, Nebuchadnezzar, had destroyed. Why? Because an Israelite slave working in his palace came to him and said, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. He literally understands my position. That I could live happily here, living in luxury, but God, there's got to be a reason why I am here. There's got to be a purpose. He says, Lord, use me. And he has no idea, gang, no idea that 483 years earlier, Daniel has prophesied that the nation would be rebuilt. And remember, the decree was the very moment that it's built, the next day the time clock starts. So Nehemiah was simply being obedient. Listen to me. You have no idea what you put into motion in God's plan when you say, Lord, use me. Use me. Lord, however you seem fit, I'll just be obedient. And you begin to pray, Lord, may the prayer of favor open the closed doors. Just open them, Lord. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. Now let's add it all up and make a mathematical equation and really see how this blows our mind. March 14th, 445 BC, the day Artaxerxes of Persia grants Nehemiah's request and gave the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. 173,880 days from that day, the Messiah is going to be revealed. And that day was April the 6th, 32 A.D. April the 6th, 32 A.D. was the very day that Jesus of Nazareth rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey on the day of lamb selection. Do you think it was an accident? 
the day that Israel is choosing their lambs in the natural to cover their sin for one year, God stands on the ethereal throne of heaven. He looks over the balconies of the new Jerusalem. He sees his son and he said, I am sending you the perfect lamb without spot or without blemish. And he will shed his blood for the covering of your sin, not for one day, not for two days, but for all of eternity. And not just for the Jews. Oh, you can clap your hands for that. Not just for the Jews, but every race, every creed, and every color. If you're thankful that Jesus came, somebody clap your hands and praise him. Wow. Do you see how it all fits together? And when you study it, you realize the high priest would take that lamb and run him down the street and up into the temple. Jesus comes down the street, goes up into the temple, but he says, my time has not come yet. Oh, the prayer of favor opens closed doors. And the Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is no respecter of person. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did for Nehemiah, what he did for Esther, what he did for Daniel, what he did for the prophets of old, he shall do for you. The key is you have to be willing. So let me show you how it works today. The favor of God's amazing. It blows the minds of people who are watching this church. It blows the minds of people who are watching you on a daily basis. It blows their mind because they see how God's hand is on your life and they're saying, how in the world did that guy get the promotion? I'm more talented than he is. I'm definitely better looking than he is. How did she advance? She doesn't have a master's. She doesn't have the things that you need and yet she's moving up in the corporation. It it makes no sense. It's called the hand of God. It's called the favor of God. And favor is not fair. So here's how it works. God says, I've got a plan and I've got a purpose for Avon. I've got a plan and a purpose for Indiana. I've got a plan and a purpose for the United States of America. I've got a plan and a purpose. Your days have been ordained. Your days have been brought to you. I I know who you were before you were even formed, Jeremiah says. I was there in your mother's womb. God has got a plan and a purpose for your life. So he says, let me drop some giftings into your life. So boom, there you go, baby girl. Boom, there you go, son. You don't deserve it. It's called grace. But I'm going to give you the gifts you need to fulfill my purpose. And you don't even know how it happened. And there are some of you sitting here that God has just dropped some things in your life, and you go, for you, I often tell you this, for you, it's a Scooby-Doo moment. You just go, oh. Don't know where it came from, God, but I'll take it by an upraised hand. How many know what it is to have God just drop something in your life and you don't know where it came from, but you say, yeah, I'll take it. Come on, a blessing. God does that for a purpose. You see, there are other people all around you. They're pushing, they're sweating, they're trying to get it done. For you, there are some things that just come easy. They just come easy. You say, well, I don't even know what my giftings are, my blessings are. Whatever comes easy, that's your gifting. 
That's your blessing. And the wonderful thing about God is when he wants to bless you, he doesn't call your boss and ask for permission. I mean, when he wants to give you a windfall financially because he sees your life and he sees how you've been praying and fasting, he sees how you've been honorable and tithe and offering. Tithe is a debt I owe. Offerings are the seeds I sow. You don't do it to get. You do it because you love God. And you're just being being a a faithful child of God. He says, you know what? I'm just going to bless them for my glory, for my purpose. And, And God doesn't call Bank of America and say, would you mind? He does what he wants to do, bro, because he's almighty God. When he wants to promote you, he doesn't call your boss. When he wants to bless your family, he, he doesn't call your family, your extended family, and say, would you mind? No, he does what he wants to do, because he's sovereign God. And he does it for a reason. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. Come on, say it again. The prayer for favor opens closed doors. Now, you need to understand that there is a correlation between the blessings of God and the purpose of God. Oh, don't miss it. See, as you walk with God and seek to be obedient to him, God will bless you not for your purpose, but for his purpose. Those blessings are uniquely yours. They belong only to you. See, some of you, you're so gifted with finances, it's just easy. It just flows out of you. Others, like me, you, you, you know, you just, sometimes numbers just boggle my mind. There are others of you that you're gifted at singing, and it just flows, and it's easy. You just, hey, yeah, you're just gone. Then there are others like our lead pastor, that's not his gifting. I love him. He's got so many others. See, but there are some of you, that's just not your gifting. You want it to be, so you're spending all this money to get all these voice lessons. My grandmother would say, mijo, que no. Save it and give it to missions. But Randy, I sound so good in the shower. We all sound so good in the shower. I met a guy between services. He said, you know what? I'm going to cut an album in my shower. I'm that good. I said, we all, there's something about that, the acoustics there. But that's just not your gifting. No, no. God has given you giftings and abilities. It just flows easy. And you need to understand, therefore, an eternal purpose. A role for you to play. See, all of those blessings are tools strategically to move you into a place of influence so God can fulfill his purpose in your life. Influence comes from God. In fact, the apostle Paul talks about the power to persuade or influence men's hearts. The power and ability comes from God. And God's trying to maneuver you into a place of influence so you can use your position for his glory. In the same way, see, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the same way he did it for Esther and Nehemiah and Daniel and David and Moses. And next week, Pastor is going to teach on the step of faith with the prophets. And just as they were willing to say, Lord, use me, he wants to position you. Many of you are on my Facebook, Randy Ruth Ministries Facebook page, and you'll you'll private message me. You'll say, Pastor, please pray. I, I need God to move me off my job. I'm the only Christian there. Yeah, I do the same thing in my office. I laugh. 
And I instantly get on and I say, hey, I'll pray, but duh, that's why you're there. Because God has positioned you with unique abilities to influence people's hearts for the glory of God. You're the tip of the spear. On that high school campus, you're the tip of the spear. On that college campus that has no morals, ethics, or integrity, you're the tip of the spear. You see all their lives wrapped up in Greek life and they're wrapped up in partying. God has sent you there like he sent Nehemiah for such a time as this. Paul talks about how God gives the ability to influence. So God gives you those blessings and talents. Listen now, the enemy wants to steal the purpose. Oh, just catch what I'm telling you. The enemy wants to steal God's purpose, but he's very wise, he's smart. Satan, Lucifer, Lucent, angel of light, used to be a archangel. He's smart enough to realize if I steal their gift from God, they'll start to pray. And he also knows that James 1.17 tells us every good and perfect gift is from above and comes from the Father of lights with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. He knows where the gifts come from and he knows if he steals your giftings, you're gonna rise up in prayer and say, Lord, what happened? So what he does is he creates a train of thought that so fits your way of thinking, you suppose it comes to your own line of reasoning, and suddenly he begins to try to convince you to take those giftings and live for yourself. He tries to talk you out of it. And the thoughts will come, you can't live on 90%. You, you can't possibly... Tell anybody about God, look at your life. All those dreams that you have and those things that God's, that you think are from God, oh no, they're lies. God doesn't care for you. Look at your father, look at your mother. And he tries to steal the purpose. Last time I was here, I told you that uh, I love Robin Williams. I love his movies and uh, I just think he's an amazing actor. And uh, I was blown away when he committed suicide. Robin Williams was so gifted, and I was thinking, how in the world can this gifted person, so talented, commit suicide? Well, I kind of got a little insight as he is on a late-night talk show just a couple months before he commits suicide. Here's what he said. Robin Williams said, I used to think the worst thing in life was to be all alone. It's not the worst thing in life. No, the worst thing in life is to be with people who make you feel all alone. And here's a man that lost his purpose. He lost who he was. And what good is it to have the gift if you don't have a purpose? While speaking in Arlington, Virginia, pastor leaned over to me like Craig and I sat in the front row during worship, uh, and I love the worship in this church. It's amazing. And he said, hey, I want to introduce you to the young lady that's leading worship after service. I didn't think anything of it. I said, okay, that's great. So we go back after multiple services to an area they call the green room. And they got food and snacks there for us in between services. 
And she's there with all of her kids. She's about 110 pounds soaking wet, long blonde hair, little tiny thing, a half pint, not even a full pint. And he says to her, tell Randy what you do for a living. She goes, oh, no, no. He goes, yeah, go ahead, tell, oh, no. And her husband is a big old bruiser guy. He's over in the corner, and she looks over at him. He goes, yeah, yo, tell him what you do. She goes, okay. She got permission. She said, well, I head up the security team, Secret Service for Melania Trump. I said, get out of town. You've got to be kidding me. She said, no. I said, but you're a half pint. Hardly nothing. And her husband says, yeah, but she's bad. <laughs> she could hurt you. And now she gets my attention, and she's got this awesome smile. She's just beaming, but tears are coming. Have you ever seen someone where their tears are coming, but you know they're tears of joy because they're just beaming, and she's beaming, and she looks at me, and she says, hey, I really enjoyed your message, but do you know what I really enjoyed? I said, no, what did you really enjoy? She said, I really enjoyed that when you gave the altar call, 90% of our church ran to the altar, and you don't know the people in the altar. I do. I said, really? She said, did you see that really big guy over to the left wearing the dark suit? I said, you mean the guy that muscle upon muscle? I mean, the guy is huge. She said, yeah. I said, yeah, I couldn't miss him. She said, well, what you don't know is he is on the Secret Service team that protects President Trump. Did you see what he was doing? And this guy had his hands lifted and tears were flowing, and he was saying, Lord, use me. She started going across the, uh, the altar area, and she started telling me that one is NSA. That one there was Pentagon, works with five-star generals. That one there, and she started showing me all of the people that were in key positions in our government, and they had their hands lifted, and they were not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they believed it was still the power of God into salvation. And the tears were flowing. And she looked at me and she said this. She said, Pastor, I want you to tell my story, but don't give my name because then I'm a, then I'm a security risk. But she said, you tell the churches that God has got his people positioned in the White House, in the Senate, in the Congress, in the hallways of the White House, she said, spontaneous praise and worship just breaks out at any time. And then she looked at me and she said, well, you need to know President Trump, he's as rough as a corn cob. <laughs> and I smiled and said, aren't we all? <laughs> but by the grace of God, come on now, how many know that? But by the grace of God. And she looked at me and she said, oh, he has his faults, but he allows us to love our God. Friends, in the same way that God placed Nehemiah, he places his people. And he's placing you and he's placing me. And if we're going to reach our highest potential for 2020, I was running on the treadmill, you know. And I said, Lord, I need a word of encouragement for Crossroads. 
And the Holy Spirit whispered, purpose and position. 2020 is one of the greatest years for this church. I believe it with all my heart. That out of this service right here, God's going to raise up people and the first service who say, Lord, I have a position that you've given me. Listen, you say, well, God gave me my job, Randy, because he needed to feed me. No, baby girl, he could have fed you without giving you that job. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He put you there for a purpose. He gave you that position for a purpose. And if we are going to see the greatest year in 2020, then we as a congregation must begin to pray God-sized prayers. You say, well, Randy, what's a God-sized prayer? God-sized prayers are prayers that are impossible. When is the last time you asked God to do something impossible or out of the ordinary in your life, in your ministry, in your church, in your marriage? I believe one reason we don't see God do great things in the American church is that we only ask for small things. Don't you know, it must have seemed impossible. Nehemiah's sitting there thinking, if I go to the king, he may kill me. I believe one reason we don't see God do great things in the American church, we pray for small things. See, many of you will pray for over your food. You're going to go to the restaurant today, and you're going to order your food, and you're going to begin to pray for small things. But some of you are wearing Indianapolis Colts jerseys. You know what it is to pray for impossible things. I mean, come on, be honest. How many of you, when that guy left, when Andrew Luck left, you thought all the luck went with him? And you're going to be sitting in front of your TV, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Stop the Denver defense, Lord. But I have their running back, so I'll be praying, Lord, let him run, Lord, let him run. In fact, I'm getting alerts on my fantasy football, so I've got to stop the message. <laughs> I'm just teasing. But so many times you pray for small things. When's the last time you asked God to do something impossible? Crossroads, stop limiting the limitless Savior. For the Bible says the children of Israel limited the limitless God by their actions and the way they thought. There should be something that we're praying for and asking God for that's impossible. You may feel like you're, you, ha you don't have the connections. You may feel like you don't have the funding. God is saying, dare to ask me to bring it to pass. Dare to ask me to connect you with the right people. Dare to ask me to flood you with my anointing and my gifting. Too many times we pray for small things. Lord, can you just help my children make better choices, Lord? Please, God. Don't raise your hand, but you've ever prayed that? Lord, just help my adult kids because they're good kids, God. They're wonderful kids, but they're knuckleheads, Lord. <laughs> Can you help them make better choices, God? Listen, I've been there. My, my oldest is 28, then 27. My third is, is uh, 20, 24, dear Lord. 24. My daughter is going to be 21. 
And there are times, Lord, just help them make better choices. And one night in prayer, the Lord said, is that all you want? Do you only want me to help them make better choices? Well, no, Lord. Well, what do you really want? Well, God, I I want them to touch people all over the world. Let them be more of a threat to hell than hell is a threat to them. Lord, they're, they're being brought up in a day and age of no ethics, no morals, no integrity, in political correctness. But Lord, let them see that greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. Lord, give them a godly wife. Give them a godly husband. Lord, that they would raise up the hands of God. Lord, that they would fulfill Acts chapter 2 that says your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Lord, I want my kids to be everything that you've created them to be. And when I finished praying, the Lord said, then pray that way, mijo, because the Holy Spirit's Puerto Rican. (laughs) I know some of you think he's German or Italian. He says, I am. I am. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. Ordinary prayer is, God, can you just help me get by this month? Can you just help me pay the bills? Without raising your hand. How many of you ever prayed that one? Lord, can you just help me get by this month? We used to pray that way in the ministry because we are on a faith ministry. And if the churches aren't giving, then I can't go to Bank of America and say, well, I'm not going to make the payment on the house, but I'm anointed. He's going to say, no, you're evicted. (laughs) So you giving in that love offering over and above, we need your help desperately. And there are times that I I find myself, Lord, can can you just help him? And the Lord said, come on, man, you know better than that. No, a prayer of favor is, God, I'm asking you to increase me in such a way that as I am obedient in my tithe and my offering and my giving back to you, that you will bless me in such a way I can not only pay off my house, but I can also pay off my parents' house and I can give to world missions and I can have the ministry of Crossroads reach out to India and they can touch millions of people for the cause of God and bring them out of poverty and see the hand of God all around the world because I've been obedient to you, Lord. That's the prayer a favor maybe you have somebody in your family that's sick have you ever stopped to think and say Lord I need a favor can you do this for me God see the key is you have to know what you believe I want the musicians to come quickly you have to know what you believe that's why you've got to be in a small group You've got to know what you believe. And you've got to surround yourself with people that believe the same way you do. Because all week long, you're out there in a population that believes the way the world does. But the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but by the renewing of your mind. You've got to be around people on a daily basis that can help you pray the prayer favor. And you have to know what you believe. I didn't tell this the first service. I haven't passed times before. But I just feel prompted to tell you what I believe. And the moment you hear something you believe, then you shout amen. Why are we shouting, Pastor? Because it's the sound of freedom. It's the sound of freedom. And at one o'clock, don't you dare shout 
for the Colts if you can't shout for God right now? Well, you didn't hear me. I said at one o'clock when they kick that thing off, don't you dare shout for the Colts if you can't put aside your tradition and shout for the one who set you free. Shout for the one who's lifted you up. Shout for the one that died on the cross and rose again on the third day for you. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe in God's written word. I believe in God's promises. I believe what God says is true. I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who is our Lord and our Savior, who is conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. I believe he descended into the gates of hell, and on the third day, he rose again with the keys of death and hell and the grave in them. I believe in all 66 books of the Bible. I believe the time is coming when Jesus the Christ will come again. That is when he will judge the living and the dead whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. I believe in the millennial reign. I believe in the church. I believe that the time is coming and the communion of the saints. I believe the time is coming when I will hear the trumpet sound of God and the dead in Christ shall rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air with King Jesus. Crossroads. If you believe like I do, somebody make some noise and let the sound of freedom Echo in these hallways. Oh, come on, praise him. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said praise him. Praise him. Now look at me as I close. I'm not going to get to point two. The prayer for favor places the hand of God on my life. When the hand of God is on you, friends, it changes everything. And what happens is that the transference of the Holy Spirit that you receive at salvation, which is in you, he comes upon you. And suddenly there's a preaching of boldness. Everything changes. But listen as I close. One of the key verses in that whole narrative with Nehemiah, I was greatly afraid. I was greatly afraid. But then I prayed to the God of heaven because his hand was on me. The king granted my request. One of the devil's main tools to hinder this church's purpose is a spirit of fear will come on you just at the moment you decide to stand up and make a walk of faith. The moment God lays on your heart to support missions, Satan will hit you with, well, you can't do that. You got to pay Blue Cross Blue Shield. You can't do that. The very moment you step out to be a part of a, 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 life, a life group, you, you, can't, you don't have the time for that. You've got baseball with the kids. You've got all this stuff happening. Fear grips your heart. What if my husband doesn't want it? What if I can't make it? The moment you decide to begin to pray the prayer of favor, well, what if your prayer is not answered? What if they don't get healed? Listen, friend, mine is not to question why, but mine is to stand on God's promises. Say, Lord, I'm trusting you to heal the marriage. Need a favor. Need a favor. If you're willing to begin to pray the prayer of favor for 2020, 
If you're longing for the hand of God to be on you, don't you dare allow fear to rob you of what God's got and his purpose for your life. If that is you, I want you to stand to your feet right now, right now, right now. 